Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. If we feed the natural man, and I'm not talking about physical food, I'm talking about if we feed the natural lust of the flesh, then that is what is going to reign in our hearts. But if we feed the new man that is within us, with the Word of God, then the Word of God can dwell in us richly. It's up to us. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia. 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. Welcome to another episode of Triumphal Feast. We are currently doing an expository look at Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Today we will focus on a single verse in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 16, Paul tells us that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We know that this is not teaching that we make a choice as to whether Christ dwells in us in the new birth, but it does teach that we have a choice to make on how much influence and effect the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ has in our daily walk. We can either let our lives be filled with godly instruction or with useless and harmful influences of this fallen world. When we feed the new man with the word of God, then it has the blessed effect of us walking in righteousness. One of the most interesting things we will see in this passage is that Paul teaches us that singing in the church is the primary way we can do this. Therefore, we need not to only be active in singing praises to God. We need to make sure what we are singing is from the Bible. Over the past several months, we have been looking in the book of Colossians and the apostle Paul dealing with the same problems that we deal with in the world today, and that is conflicting worldviews. What is our view of why we are here and what it is we're supposed to be doing? The arguments that are made today are no different than the arguments that were made in the Apostle Paul's time, and so we can rely on the Word of God to face those very issues. It is not whether we identify from a particular country it is not whether we identify from a particular political party. We need to be recognizing what the Word of God says is true and attempting to live our lives that way. If that means we need to adjust some things in our lives, then we need to adjust some things in our lives. If we are doing it properly, we don't need to become arrogant. We need to be thankful that the Lord has blessed us to be able to do that. A few weeks ago, we ventured into Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's the theme of this letter. 
And that should be the theme of our discipleship. Many times we call ourselves Christian, but do we walk like Christ? Those that would claim to be the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, a disciple does what his master does. And so we should evaluate ourselves. Very often it's easy for us to evaluate somebody else, but we're called upon in the Word of God to evaluate ourselves, repent of our own wicked ways, and turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ. In this letter, in this particular chapter, the Apostle Paul tells us the kinds of things that we should no longer be doing. The child of God should not look like a child of the world. In the days of Noah, other than Noah and maybe, maybe his sons, if they were helping him out, you couldn't tell the difference between a child of God and a child of the wicked because everybody was living according to their own personal desires. Paul says we need to lay that aside. The Jesus that's painted in society today is a Jesus that's not recorded in Scripture. People that have not read the entire Bible faithfully will take a scripture, rip it out of context, and say, see, Jesus sat down and ate with sinners. Yes, but Jesus didn't start sinning when he did it. He called sinners to repentance while he was doing that. He didn't go into Matthew's house while Matthew was still stealing from fellow Jews. He called Matthew from the very seat of the publican, and Matthew left it aside. He didn't go into Zacchaeus' house, another publican. He didn't go into Zacchaeus' house and say, keep on sinning. Zacchaeus had the testimony that I've already stopped doing this. See, we are to recognize that we are sinners, sinners saved by grace. That means our eternal home is secure, but it also means this. We can stop. We can lay aside that old man that tries to influence us. And we can put on the new man, which is as the elect of God. This is not something that people that are not born of the Spirit, certainly not something that wicked people can do, but we as the elect of God can put on bowels of mercy. We can be kind. We can be humble. We can be meek. We can be long-suffering. And above all that, we can put on charity. We can sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of someone else. Paul says in doing this in verse 15, that the peace of God will rule in our hearts. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That tells me that God has provided everything we need to have peace every moment. Because he says, let. He leaves it on us. He Gave us a new nature for the desire of peace. He gave us the spirit that motivates us to live peaceably. So regardless of what happens out in the world, regardless of what happens on our job or in our families, whatever turmoil reigns around us, we can let peace reign in our own hearts. And then Paul gives us instructions on how to make that happen my verse this morning is Colossians 3 verse 16 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Apostle Paul says the key to moving toward charity and letting peace reign in your heart is to have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And y'all read out loud for me the first word of the 16th verse. What is that? Let. That's on us. It's on us. Very often we get fatalistic and say, oh, woe is me. But the Bible tells us, oh, woe is you because of you. Not because God has not sought to bless you, but because God has blessed you and we've walked away from it. And so Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. For something to dwell in you richly, it has to already be there. Turn with me briefly over to James chapter 1. We know that the preaching of the gospel to them that perish is foolishness. We know that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither indeed can he, because they're spiritually discerned. Something has to happen to us in order for the Word of God or the Word of Christ to be in us. We can have the preached Word go on all the time outside, and if our old heart is still a hard and stony heart, then the gospel is preached and people are cut to the heart and it bounces right off because there is nothing there that would gladly receive it. But those whose hearts are changed hear the gospel and can be pricked in the heart. As God had promised in the old prophets, I will give them a heart of flesh. It is by the very grace of God that we can enjoy the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm interested here in James chapter 1, and my Bible just closed back over, so I'll go back over to it again. James chapter 1, verse 21, James is teaching the same thing that the Apostle Paul does. He is telling us to stop living like the old man and start living new in Christ. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He is not saying get born again. He is not saying receive so that the word can be engrafted. He says the word is already engrafted, so it is there Receive it with meekness, meaning it's there for a purpose. Humble yourselves and use it because it's able to save your soul today. It's able to save your soul from this wicked world that's out there. And let us not think that it's there to save us from sins that we see other people commit. It's there to save us from pride. It's there to save us from being selfish. It's there to save us to charity. To love. Because then peace reigns in our hearts. And we're saved. 
We are, if you want to call it time salvation, gospel salvation, it is that. We are delivered. And the reason that we know that is we have peace. So, Paul says, this word that is in you, go back over to Colossians. This word is placed in us. And it is our job to feed the soul. Your soul has been changed. Your spirit is at one with the Holy Spirit. And it's our job to feed that part of us. If we feed the natural man, and I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about if we feed the natural lust of the flesh then that is what is going to reign in our hearts. But if we feed the new man that is within us with the Word of God, then the Word of God can dwell in us richly. It's up to us. We've got to read the Word of God. We've got to study the Word of God. We have to be under the preaching of the sound of the gospel because this is our very life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. We need this in Christ. And he says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To help you understand what the word dwell means, I'm going to tell you two things that it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean stranger. Like you walk into a place and you're like, oh, wow, this is all new to me. The word of God should not feel new to the child of God. We shouldn't be such a stranger from the Bible that when somebody quotes a scripture, we don't recognize it. We need to be able to know the word of God enough that it's not strange to us. But so very, very often, those that claim to be Christian and we ourselves, someone will say something in giving advice to us, and we don't like what we hear, but they're speaking the word of God. We get upset with the person not realizing that we're strangers to the word. So that's a, an extreme opposite of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're strangers to it, that we don't recognize it right off when we hear it. The other word we don't use very much, sojourner. A sojourner is one that's passing through. You might call him a pilgrim. A sojourner doesn't take up a homestead for very long in a location because he knows that's not his home. He's moving on to someplace else. The Bible describes the saints of the Old Testament as, as strangers in a strange land and sojourners seeking another home. The problem that we have in our affluent society today is that we've taken up homestead in the world and we're sojourners in the kingdom of God. We need to swap that. We need to be citizens, active citizens in the kingdom of God right now and not just sojourning. So, Brother Bryce, what's an example? I'm glad you asked. A sojourner loves the preaching of the gospel and the singing of songs on Sunday morning and that's about it. A sojourner is one that just kind of occasionally thinks about God in church when they're outside of church. I don't want us to be that way. But oh, so often, 
That's how it is with the children of God. It's like the one who's uh, in the parable of the soils, where the seed that is fallen by the wayside, or even when the seed that is fallen among the thorns, that the cares of the world distract and take away that which is planted in us. It doesn't take away that engrafted word, but it takes away our remembrance of that, that connection between the mind and the heart so that we are dry and thirsty out there. We need to think of ourselves as sojourners here. God doesn't want you getting comfortable here because this is not your home. You are citizens of a kingdom. And so when you come to church, you ought to feel like you're at home. And every place else, it ought to feel just a little bit weird. It ought to. Because if we have transformed our lives by the renewing of our minds with the Word of God, as Paul teaches, teaches us as well, Romans 12, then we're going to feel different when people aren't acting that way. If we don't feel weird or out of place when sin is happening around us, and I'm not talking about judging others, if it doesn't make us feel uncomfortable, then we're sojourning in the wrong place. We're sojourning in church and living the world. So let's let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul very often does plays on words in Greek that our King James translators brought over for us into the English. So I think this is the Word of God in the English language. Amen? And this is really great how the Apostle Paul does this. this. He uses some poetic devices many times. Here's one of them. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're very familiar with verse 16, who only hath immortality, so forth. Verse 17, though, notice this. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. See that play on words that he does? We think if we have a lot of the world's riches, that's the blessing of God. Right here, the Apostle Paul proves to us that natural wealth is not a good indicator as to whether you are being blessed of God. Because he sets right opposite that, that God has richly blessed us with all things, and Paul is referring to the Word of God. David rejoiced in the Word of God that he had. He said, the law of the Lord is perfect. And he only had the five books of the law. We have so much more. We have all of the prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know exactly how God did it. He has richly blessed us with so many things. So let's don't say, well, I've got a little bit, so I'm rich. God intends an abundance to you so that it goes Unto what? Wisdom. There's a difference between knowing something and being wise 
in something. Turn with me over to John chapter 15, I believe it is. Yes. John 15, famous text of Jesus saying, I am the true vine. In this, Jesus is going to say that as he abides in the Father, I mean, he obeys his Father, he abides in him. Now, Jesus never, ever has not been the Son of God. He will never stop being the Son of God. And so when he talks about abiding with the Father, he is not talking about a relationship. He is talking about fellowship, and in particular, close fellowship. So here in John 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth what? Much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So the word has to be in us. Christ has to be in us to start with. And the evidence that we're letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly is that it comes to wisdom, which Jesus says is bearing much fruit. Not a little. Words mean something. God intends for us to bear much fruit. Skip down to verse 8 because I want you to know this. Herein is my Father glorified. If we think we're glorifying God, do we meet the next clause of this sentence? Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Jesus even says, you're not my disciple unless you're bearing much fruit. Somebody that's bearing a little bit, Jesus said, that's not my disciple. A disciple is closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Not just in word, like the two brothers were that wanted to sit on either side of him. That was the disciple in word. The disciples were those that, well, like Zacchaeus. What's the little children saw? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was it? He couldn't see, but he did everything possible to see Jesus when he passed by. He climbed up into a tree. That is one that is letting it dwell in him richly. Let the word of Christ, going back to Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and all wisdom. Bring forth much fruit. Teaching and admonishing one another. Right here, when he says the phrase, one another, this moves into a different realm than the preaching of the gospel. In the preaching of the gospel, there is one man teaching a group. But this one has everybody teaching everybody else. And he says how to do it in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing praises to God is also how we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so that's kind of the litmus test on what kind of hymns we ought to sing. If you're singing it and you can recognize the Bible, keep on singing that one. If you sing a song and you have trouble recognizing where it came from in the Bible, search a little bit more, and if you don't find it, don't sing that song anymore. <laughs> because the intention of the singing, the Apostle Paul says, is so that the word of Christ is fed in us, and it dwells richly, and it brings forth much fruit in wisdom. Notice how he says this. Teaching and admonishing one another. That means we're instructing and we're also correcting one another. 
in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you partner this, put, just keep your finger there in, in Colossians 3. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul wrote this letter about the same time. And if you recall, a couple years ago when we were going through Ephesians, I preached on Ephesians 19. Here's the companion verse to that. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul, by his own declaration, was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? He said, I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. Here's what that means. Not only did he go to the rabbinical schools, but if he was sitting next to the teacher, that doesn't mean he was the problem kid. That means he was the best student. So the Apostle Paul knew the Old Testament. Part of the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. The Apostle Paul knew the book of Psalms well. And for time's sake, I'm just going to describe to you what the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. If you go to the Psalms, there are headings over many of them. A psalm of David, it'll say, and then it'll list something, and it'll list something else, and it might say somebody's name. In the psalms of David, David gives five criteria for the performance of a psalm that he wrote. First of all, he says, a psalm of David. Paul says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He sets us free to sing things, including the psalms of David, but other songs as well. So we can sing all sorts of things. A psalm of David upon Neganoth. He names an instrument. And then he names the scale or the music that they ought to sing. Then he'll also say who it is that's supposed to do it. He, he assigns solos that other people don't get to sing. And then he says, and you do it just on this specific occasion. David gives five criteria, up to five criteria to many of his psalms that he writes. It's one of his psalms. You do it... With this musical instrument accompanying you, you use this scale or this tune, this is the person or group of people that I want to do it, and you do it on this occasion. The Apostle Paul says, you can sing all sorts of things, which by the way, if we didn't, we would never sing the name of Christ, because the name of Christ is not in Psalms. <laughs> I want to sing the word Jesus. And so Paul sets us free to do that, to sing experiential hymns. But it's letting the word of Christ, it's based upon the Bible. And he says, making melody in your heart. A little bit of music education background. He says, you sing, and then when he says making melody, he's actually talking about accompaniment. So when he said, play it on this instrument, the Apostle Paul is using the exact same words that David did. He said, no, the only accompaniment is the grace that is in your heart. This is direct instruction and in a cappella singing in the New Testament church. He uses the exact same pattern of David to tell us how to do it. And we can sing songs that are in a major key or a minor key. We can sing the same words to different tunes. And in both places, in Ephesians and Colossians, he says, you. King James language, that's a why, that's plural. It's not a soloist, it's not a choir, it's not the preacher, it's not a quartet. It's everybody gets to sing. And the only criteria for it is you're thankful. 
We don't have to. We, 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 we can't just say, well, I can only sing this song on this occasion. No, we can sing them all the time because we're thankful. Those same five criteria Paul mentions right there. And if you know your psalms, then you know the reason that we sing a cappella is not by choice, not by tradition, not by the, the idea that people say, well, God didn't instruct instruments, and so we're allowed to go either way. No, right here, the Apostle Paul says, the only melody that's playing, that means a musical instrument, the only melody that's playing is the grace that is in your hearts. The grace that is given to us, and it's to the Lord. A soloist may be singing to the Lord, but they're also singing to a bunch of people who are not singing back to them. That's not teaching and admonishing one another. That's one person doing it. The song service is so very, very important because the Apostle Paul says, if you want peace in your lives, then you have to be charitable. And in order to do that, the word of Christ has to be dwelling in you richly. And he said the key to that is singing the word of God. May the Lord bless you all is my prayer. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.